Thanks, Mark. So I'd encourage you to think about that. Even if it, it's like, right now, it's like, a, that's crazy. I can't do that. I can't hand out things in a, I mean, if I want to go to Spain, I don't, I don't want to go to some port in Spain. I want to experience Spain. But uh, think about that. Pray about that. So uh, today we're in the book of James. This is our second week in our study through James. How many are, have, been, have went to some kind of small group or something over the week? A number of you. I, I think that's been good. Our small group was great. Got it, it, it was really a lot of, because uh, last week we talked about trials and temptations. And so we were able to share those with one another and pray for one another through those things. So that was, it was, it was good. It was much different than the experience we have here. Today's a, a little different. It'll continue. James is writing to the, the Jewish Christians, those early Jewish Christians who've been dispersed from Jerusalem because of persecution that's taken place there. Now he's addressing them in, about a different thing. The title of the sermon is Faith Obeys the Word of God. So we're going to talk about obedience. And, and so for me, it's, I think it's important. There's a little time of, of self-disclosure, a little time of confession here, I've, I've, I've gone to this church for, since 1983, about 30, 30 years. And so, uh, if you've gone to a church for 30 years, they make you the pastor. It's just, just what happens. So, sorry. That's, that's how I became pastor. That's the confession. But so, so many of you, uh, I, I think, I don't know if this is true. Tell me, Char, Char, Charlie may be the only one left that's been here longer than me. Anybody else? Okay. So, so Charlie and, and others have come along, have gotten to know me over the years, from college to early marriage to kids to going to the mission field, coming back. And so most of you probably know this, but I, I just wanted to say it up front as we go into our study of James and of obedience. I personally struggle to obey the Word of God. I know some of you, some of you new folks, might find that, that difficult. You're a pastor, you're supposed to not struggle with these things. And I know there are some here that know for sure I struggle with these things. They've seen it, they've seen it happen. My, my wife, she knows I struggle to obey that command to love my wife like Christ loves the church. My parents, they, they come here to this church and they know that on a number of occasions I have disobeyed the fifth commandment and not obeyed, honored my, my father and mother. Recently, I've been struggling with the obedience in the area, I think that Mark touched on here, in the area of evangelism, in the area of sharing my faith. I've, I've heard what God's word says, that, that we, the body of Christ, Christians, believers, are to preach the gospel, we're to share our faith, we're to be witnesses, we're to make disciples, but I, but I haven't been seeking the opportunities that I once did to do something about that. I've heard the word, but I'm not doing anything about it. So I hope I haven't burst anyone's bubble. I hope I can, I can find some grace out there. Because I'm pretty sure that many of you can relate to that struggle. That struggle to obey the word of God. I'm sure there are areas in your life where you've heard the word of God. You know what it says, but you're struggling to do it. But James says... Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. This is James chapter 1, verse 22. In fact, this is the, the heart of what James is trying to get across to his readers. 
This could be a, a theme verse for the book of James. You can't just be a hearer. You have to be a doer of God's word. Obedience to the word of God is at the heart of what it means to live the Christian life. To have faith in God. You can't call Jesus your Lord and Savior and not be a doer of the word. Faith without works, without obedience, without action, James said, is dead. It's dead. And I think we know this. Did anyone not know that? Did anyone not know that they were supposed to obey the word of God? Anyone? No? Okay. So that's not the message today. We got that. We know that we're supposed to obey the word of God. Even the unbelievers in the world know that. They know that Christians are supposed to obey the word of God. And when we don't, they're very happy to point it out to us. Right? Why don't I go to church? Because it's full of hypocrites. Don't obey the... We know it. They know it. We know what we're supposed to not do. Right? We're supposed, we're, we're, we're supposed to, you know, I shouldn't, I, sometimes you don't want to read your notes because if you mistype something, we're supposed to engage in sexual immorality. That's what my note says. That is wrong. That is wrong. We're not supposed to do that. We're not, those knots are important sometimes. We're not supposed to take part in, in gossip. We're not supposed to be greedy or angry or jealous or hateful. We're not supposed to steal or covet or lust and, and much more. And we might be doing okay in some of, some of those things, in some of these areas. We're, we get pretty good as, as religious people at not doing stuff, right? But the Word of God is full of stuff, not just stuff we're not supposed to do, but stuff we're supposed to do. Right at the top of that is love the Lord your God with all your heart soul, mind, and strength. We're supposed to read and study His Word. We're supposed to pray without ceasing. We're supposed to bring honor and glory to God with with our words and with our deeds, with our life. We're supposed to love our neighbor as ourself. Give to those in need. Share the gospel with people in our lives. Be salt and light in our world. We know all of this, and we know so much more. Just tip of the iceberg here. The question is, the question is, why do we struggle to do what we hear and we know we're supposed to do? Why do we struggle to be a doer and not just a hearer of God's word? Well, I believe James has something to offer to us this morning. Something that will both instruct and encourage us as we seek to, in faith, obey the word of God. So, with, so, so, so this morning, I want to look at three things that James gives us. Three things that I believe will help us become what we want to be, doers of God's word. Now, last week we ended on, on verse 18 in James chapter 1, but we need to back up to it today. I think it provides some insight. It's kind of like a transition between last week and this week, James Chapter 1, verse 18. As we move to verse 22, the command to be a doer of the word, we need to first see that we are saved by the word. We're saved by the word. This is, in fact, the prerequisite to being a doer of the word. You can't be a a doer of the word, really, 
unless you're saved by the word. Verse 18, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. That, that phrase brought us forth means to, to be created or produced or born. Of his own will he, he brought us forth. It was God's will, God's choice that we were brought forth. This is referring not to our first birth, but to our new birth. When we heard the word of truth, specifically the gospel of Jesus Christ, God gave us new birth. We were, as Jesus says in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus, we were born again. We were saved. Peter says, uh, much this, has much the same point to make in chapter 1, verse 23. First Peter, since you've been born again, he says, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. We are born again through the living and abiding word of God. Now, what took place when God brought us forth by the word of truth? When we were born again through the living and abiding word of God, what did God do to us? Well, he gave us Jesus. He gave us Jesus. And Jesus is, you remember back to our study in the Gospel of John, first verse of John, John 1, 1 is, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Down in verse 14, he makes it clear. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the the Word of God, the Logos. And when we read through James, it's the same Logos, Word, that we are supposed to be doers of. Doers of the Word, because of the Word. And so this doesn't take away, I'm not saying that this, in James, it's talking about not the, the Word of God as far as the written and spoken Word of God. And it's talking about Jesus. It's talking about both, because they're related. That's why Jesus is called the Word. The truth, the word of truth, all truth comes through Christ. He gave us his word. That word abiding means remaining, staying, lasting. God's word does not perish. It's living and it remains. Why does it abide? Why does it remain? Why does it stay? James answers that question in the second half of verse 21. So I'm taking in this first point, just so we're clear. I'm taking verses 18 through 20 and the end of verse 21, because the end of verse 21 is referring back to what happens in 18, okay? Is that clear? Great. Verse 21. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. We'll talk about what it means to receive with meekness. That's our second point in a few minutes. But I want you to notice that James says that the word is implanted, Implanted. If you're a if you're a farmer, any farmers? Just kidding. That's Riverside, California. Uh, if I was preaching in Nebraska, we could have some farmers raise their hand. Anybody have a uh, what do you call that thing? Tomato garden or something? Out, you know, you know, you, you you plant those seeds. Great. We have some people that think they're farmers back there raising their hands. It's implanted, and when God plants His word in your heart, unlike maybe your tomato plants, or whatever else you're planting, it stays. It's implanted. It takes root. It takes hold. 
And it's able to save our souls. This is, this is powerful stuff. Really, it is. Grab hold of, of what James is saying here. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then know this. The word of truth, specifically the gospel of Jesus Christ, has been implanted within you. And this implanted word becomes part of you. And this part of you is what God uses to lead you into obedience, into being a a doer of His Word, prior to to His work of implanting His Word within your heart. It doesn't say your heart. In in you, I'm I'm saying heart because we use heart. Prior to this fact, prior to Him doing this, we were dead in our sins. We were enemies of God. Paul says in Romans, we had no power, we had no ability, and we had no desire to be doers of the word. Jesus in John chapter 8, verse 37, said to the the leaders, the, the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders there, who were trying to kill him, not a wise thing, they're on the wrong track, he says, you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. The word of truth was not implanted in them. Now, now this should say something. Remember who these guys were. These were the Pharisees. These were the guys that knew the law and the prophets. They knew, be careful how you take this. This does not mean they didn't have Bible knowledge. These leaders knew their Bibles better than anyone. But the word of God found no place in them. It was not implanted in them. They had the head knowledge. They knew what it said, but it had no application for their lives, really. Before we're born again, even if we know the the written word, our hearts are, are full of other things. Other things push it out. Ambition and pride and greed and lust take precedent. Over the word of God. We're like children who stuff our faces with candy between meals, before a meal. So when an amazing, wonderful, nutritious feast is offered, we're not hungry. In fact, our stomach turns at the thought of eating. This is how unsaved people feel about the word of truth. Some may know much about the written word. Maybe they know even more than you do. Maybe they know more than I do. But when it comes to accepting it as truth for their lives, they don't feel any need for it. There's no place for it. It hasn't been implanted in them. But for those who are brought forth by the word of truth, for those that God has implanted his word in their lives, in their hearts, James says it's able to save your souls. What does that mean? It certainly means certainly refers to that initial salvation that we received when we trusted the, the word of truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel that says Jesus died on the cross, that Jesus paid the penalty for our sins, that he offers forgiveness, the, the good news. It certainly means that. Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes, it has the power to save your soul. The implanted word of God can do that when we believe. But you know what? Our salvation continues on. 
We call it salvation. We call it sanctification. The word continues to work. It continues to save us from this world, from the flesh, from the devil. It's more than just a one-time event. We are being saved. We have been saved, but we are being saved by the implanted word of God. First Thessalonians 2.13, Paul writes, When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. That's when it's implanted, when you accept it for what it really is. Not the word of men, but the word of God. And it's implanted in your heart, and, it, and he ends, which is at work in you believers. If you're a believer, if you've received the word of God, then that same word is at work in your life. As the author of the book of Hebrews puts it, for the word of God is living and active. It's living and active. The word is living and active. It's a resource of God's truth that the Holy Spirit uses to save souls from the power of sin. The implanted word is a resource that the Holy Spirit uses to convict us of our sin. To turn us from being hearers of the word to being doers of the word. The word transforms us. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, James says. The, word, the implanted word will have an impact on the way we live. We become new creatures in Christ. So when we face a choice, when we face a trial, think back to what we talked about last week, when we face a temptation, when we face a test of faith, the implanted word of God says, trust and obey the Lord. James says, God has brought you forth by his word. You were born again. You're a new creature in Christ. And then he gives some practical wisdom for how you should react to the the word that brought us forth. Know this, my beloved brothers, verse 19. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, what, what's, that? what's that doing in there? Why is that sticking in there? We'll talk more about this in your home groups this week. In the study guide, Philip provides sort of two little contrasting views of what, what this might, might mean. I'm going to give you just one of them this morning. The one I think is, is what James is saying here. You've been born again by the word of truth. Okay? Transformation is taking place in your life. God is working in you. So you should be quick to listen. Literally, the Greek, hurry up and listen. Hurry up and listen to what? To the word of truth. Be slow to speak your own opinions, your own truth. Be quiet and listen to what God says. And be slow slow to anger. Don't be angry about your situation, your trials and your temptations. Don't be angry at God or, or man. Don't be angry and rebel against the word of truth. Instead, listen to it humbly. For your anger will not help the situation at all, James says. It will not produce the righteousness of God. What will produce the righteousness of God? The word of God. So hurry up. Listen to it. That leads to James' second point. That's why I believe he's, he's talking about when he says listen. He's talking about listening to the word of God. Second point is we must receive the word. The Word of God prepares us. It's a prerequisite 
It's a prerequisite to being a doer of the word. Now it prepares us to be a doer of the word. It says in verse 21, Therefore put away filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive. Listen with meekness to the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Therefore, because because God in his goodness has implanted his word in your heart. Because the word will not come and go. It won't be taken out of your life. It's part of who you are. Therefore, put away that old stuff. Put away that filthiness, that rampant wickedness that, that you knew so well. Put away your sin and your lust and your greed and your hate. There should be no place for those things in your heart, in your life. The Word of God has been implanted in your heart. Let it grow. Let it push those other things out. So receive with meekness the implanted Word. Receive this implanted Word. Okay, okay what does that mean? How can I receive something that's been implanted? Maybe that doesn't make sense. Well, think about it this way, and, and I, I'll confess you confess your sin, he's faithful. No, I'll confess. I, I modified, I read this little illustration from uh, John Piper and I modified it a little bit. So. so it has extra authority, right? All right. Think about it this way. If you treat the word of God like your kidneys, you're making a big mistake. Now, I, I know last week I messed up with this disease of diverticulitis and all this stuff. So this week, I've got my anatomy down, my medical anatomy is right. The kidneys, those are those things, they're implanted in your body, right? So you've got kidneys. Now, if we think of the word being implanted like kidneys, we're making a mistake. Your kidneys are implanted in you, but, but you don't go on receiving your kidneys, do you? They just sit there doing their work. We don't even think about them normally. You rarely think about what's happening behind the scenes with these implanted kidneys. You certainly don't receive them. They're already there, firmly implanted. But James says, receive the implanted word. It's already in you, and you should receive it as well. It's rooted and planted in you. It brought you new life. But it's not like kidneys. It's more like water. Water is, so to speak, implanted in your body, right? Your body's, correct me if I'm wrong, 50 to 60% water, depending on things. Water gives life, and in giving life and in drinking, you receive water. No one says, I have water in me. I'm made of water. I don't need to receive any more water. You don't, you know, you're dying of thirst in the middle of the desert, the fact that your body has a lot of water and is not helpful to you. You can't pull off a leg and start. That's even disgusting, isn't it? But the water's there. So like water that's in implanted and received, the word of God is implanted and received. The implanted word of God and the external word of God, the Bible... So you got this implanted word, and then you have the external word. The external word that you're receiving. But they're linked. They're united. It's at work in us, Paul says. The word is at work in us. And and the work it does in us is it makes us want to receive and believe and obey. Receiving the external word empowers the implanted word. 
As we receive the words of God's word into us, it it reinforces and, and grows this implanted word. And the implanted word creates the hunger to receive and believe and obey the external word. We need this external water. We need to drink because we're made of water. and We need to replenish that. Like the body demands water, the soul that has been saved by the implanted work demands the word of God, the external word of God, the scriptures. So feed your souls and receive the implanted word. And James says that we're to receive it with, this is key here, with meekness. Receive with meekness the implanted word. In this context, receiving the word of God, meekness means something like teachability or readiness to submit to God's word. The opposite of receiving the word with meekness would be receiving the word with pride. What would that look like? That would mean you're receiving only what you think is worthy, what you think is right, what you think is true, only what you think is good for you. Your pride says that that you have the right to pick and choose which parts of God's word you're going to believe, you're going to trust, you're going to follow, you're going to obey. But James says, receive it with meekness. What does that look like? When you open your Bibles, and you should be doing that on a regular basis, daily basis, say to God, "I, I trust you. I submit to you. I need your help. Humility. Cause my heart to love your word. Give me a desire to receive more and more. Open my eyes to see the greatness of what's really there. Satisfy my soul with with the glory of of yourself that's revealed in, in in this book. You're my God and my Savior, my Lord. You're more valuable than anything else in this world. In meekness, I bow down before you. I submit to the infinite truth contained in your word. I come to you. I look to you. I wait for you. Come to me through the the, the pages of, of this book. The pages that you've given. The pages that you've inspired. The pages that you say are worthy of our study. That are active and, and living. Give me the eyes to see. The ears to hear. And the faith to obey what I find here. It's a meek way. A humble way. Of receiving the planted word. And then, and then do it. Pour over it. Read it. Allow it to take hold of your life. Every word. Inspired by God. And don't, don't miss the implications of that, that word receive. It means welcome. It's not receive like you receive a blow to the head. That hurt. It's receive the way you receive a feast. The way you receive a friend into your home. Or even the way you receive needed surgery. It's not always pleasant, but always good for you. Always life-giving. That's how we're to receive the word every day. Listen to David, uh, David's description of receiving the word in Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the man 
whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. David delighted in the word. It was great joy. He meditated on it day and night. He thought about it. It was the guiding force in his life. I'm sure David, like we, would get advice from other friends and family and stuff, but the guiding force in what he did was was the word of God. Receiving the word means you gladly take it in. And you take it in deeply. And the effect is you gain strength. You're like a tree planted, firmly established by streams of living water. You you become fruitful, yielding fruit in season. You don't grow weary in life's trials and temptations. Its leaf does not wither. And you prosper greatly. Some versions say, and you're, you're blessed. You're blessed. What a great recommendation and encouragement to be in God's word on a daily basis. And we know this to be true. I would encourage you to set aside time every day to to read God's word, to pour over it, to to receive it humbly. To think about it throughout your day in meekness, allowing the word of God to renew and transform your life. This is what prepares your mind. Okay, we got this. If you're not doing that, if you're not allowing the word of God into your heart, into your soul, if you're not pouring over, if you're not receiving it with meekness, you are never going to be a doer of God's word. Never. This is the, what prepares your mind and your heart to be a doer. Think about this, a little illustration. You get up in the morning and you're late and you get in the car and you're driving to work and some doofus cuts you off and yelling at him, you're, you know, and your natural reaction comes out, right? You know, because you haven't been prepared. Think about the same day, you, you get up a little early, you let the alarm go off, you spend 15, 20, maybe 30 minutes, oh my gosh, pouring over God's word. God, put this into my life. Transform me with, with your word. What do, you, what do you have for me today? Same thing happens. You've been prepared, and you, and you know that God called you to love your enemies, right? Those people that, those doofuses that cut you off, and you say, wow, you must be having a, a tougher day than me. You must be in a real big hurry. Maybe I, maybe I should pray for him. You know, your reaction's different because you've been prepared by the, the word of God. And if we receive the implanted word with meekness, then... Final point, we can be doers of the word. We can be doers of the word. Now we get to the heart of the matter. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Deceiving yourself. Those first two words in that uh, verse, James, it says, but be doers. It really could be translated, and I would prefer, now become. It tells you two things. One, the now helps us refer back to what we've been talking about. That's important. You've got to have the prerequisite. You've got to be prepared. Now and become. It's not be like it's, it's going to happen overnight. It's become. It's become. Become doers of the word. You're not going to be perfect, but become. Never give up. 
Become doers of the word, not hearers only. Now, sometimes we, we read this verse, we tend to isolate it from what's gone before. We take it as a standalone command to obedience. And, and to me, sometimes if you do that, it's like, duh, no kidding. Be doers. Okay. Is that all you got for me? And maybe some of you have memorized it like that. Just memorize that verse. And, and there's value in that. We're not to be de- deceive ourselves. It's a reminder. You can't just hear the word. You can't just hear it in your ears and not let it impact your life. You know, sometimes when people are blessed with regular in-depth preaching and teaching of Scripture, which is what happens here. Just kidding, sorry. Whether it's on Sunday morning or maybe you find better stuff on the radio. Maybe you got some good books by John Piper that you're reading. Sometimes our focus becomes knowledge. The knowledge. I appreciate, I, I so much appreciate it. In my home Bible study, some people, some people come with their... I don't have a copy here with their notes that I give out. Some people come with just tons of notes, and they said, I didn't have time to write down everything you said. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. But really, 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 what I appreciate more is that you're applying that. You're being a doer. If, if you write down one thing and you're doing that, that's so much more important than getting everything that I say or anyone says down in your notes. We can become so obsessed with knowledge for knowledge's sake that that's what's satisfying us. We don't, even, we don't then make that effort to live out the things as I'm speaking, as, as the Word is speaking, as you're reading just the Word itself, as you're hearing it somewhere else. That, thinks that, that thing speaks to you. That's what I need to be doing. That's the thing I need to do. And we forget that we throw that aside and keep taking notes so we get all the, everything that's being said. We focus on the knowledge and not the action. But listen, a true believer, and this is maybe a test for you, ask yourself this. A true believer will not be inwardly satisfied with merely knowing the word. We know that we must stop, not stop at hearing. We must be doers of the word. We must obey what we hear. John MacArthur wrote, Obedience to the word is the most basic spiritual requirement and is the common denominator for all true believers. The bottom line of true spiritual life is not a momentary feeling of compliance or commitment, but long-term obedience to Scripture. Long-term obedience. A friend of mine, funny, I've quoted this guy a couple times. Jim Wonder shared something with me a long time ago. We had some friends that we both knew from uh, him high school, me college, that had uh, been really on fire for the faith. You know, Some of them I had joined with and started a club at RCC, uh, the Fish Club, to reach people for Christ when we were there in our freshman year at RCC. And and they had fallen away. They weren't following. I mean, maybe they, they, they were, they, their lives were in other, had gone in other directions. They were pursuing other things. And I said, Jim, what's up with that? And he pointed this out to me, that, that commitment to long-term obedience. He says, it's, it's, it's uh, there I did, I didn't write it down again. This is the same thing that happened last time I tried to quote Jim Winter. 
long-term obedience in the same direction, he said. Talking about going in the, in the same direction with, with Christ. So important. Jesus said as much in, in John 8, 31, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Guess what? If you don't abide in his word, then you're not truly his disciples. If you're a true follower of Christ, the disciple, then you will abide in his word. The prompting, the indwelling Holy Spirit will keep convicting you of your sin, your failure, until you become obedient. A true believer knows they should obey the word of God and they want to obey the word of God. It's a desire. I want to do this. That's where Romans chapter 7, read that. Why am I doing the things I don't want to do? I want to obey the word of God. We don't want to be hearers only. We want to be doers. And what I hope we've been realizing, what I hope is coming out here, is that in James chapter 1, verses 18 to 21, is James laying that foundation for this command in chapter 22. He's not just out of the blue giving us some command to obey the word of God. We know that. He's telling us how it's possible. He's encouraged us with two truths. We are saved by the implanted word. That's the prerequisite for obedience. Are you saved? It's a prerequisite to obedience. You can't can't obey until you give your life to Christ. Until he implants that word in your life. And second, we must receive the word with meekness. This is what prepares us for obedience. James is saying, now that you have been born again by the word of truth, you've met the prerequisite, now that that the word has been implanted in your heart, when you then receive the word with meekness, it prepares you. You can be more than hearers of the word. You can be a doer. Through the implanted and received word of God, we are enabled to not only hear the word, but to obey the word. Obedience becomes the natural way of life. To those who are saved by the word, it's implanted in them, and who spend their days receiving the word with meekness, obedience becomes the natural thing. You become a natural doer. James then gives an illustration of the difference between being a hearer and a doer. He begins with the hearer. Verse 23 For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his face, at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what what he was like. The hearer is is like a man who looks intently at his face in a mirror, a reflection. What do you see in the mirror? What do we see in, in the mirror? We see our reflection. What we really look like. You know, we have, in, in James' day, they didn't have mirrors at all, the, all over the place. You had to go find one and you had to look, oh, that's what I look like. That's what I look like. And he stares at it intently. But when he goes away, he forgets what he was like. Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know what I'm like. In the same way, what do we see in the scriptures? When we read the scriptures, we see God's standard. And we see how we're not measuring up to that. In a real sense, we get a reflection of who we really are in the scriptures. 
How are we falling short? Where are we disobeying the commands of God? And if we walk away from Scriptures, forgetting what we've seen, then we'll do nothing about it. We won't be transformed. We won't be doers. Now in contrast, the here, to the here we have the doer. Verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, be no here, who forgets, but a doer who acts, a here who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. He will be blessed. In, underline that. He will be. We're going to talk about that. The doer looks in the perfect law, the law of liberty. These are synonyms for the gospel, the word of God, specifically the gospel. The gospel is perfect and it brings freedom and liberty into our lives. The doer is the one who hears the word of God and doesn't forget what he's heard. Instead, he perseveres. He acts on what he's heard. He obeys. And then James echoes David's words. And he says he will be blessed in the doing, in his doing. This is a promise to those who are brought forth by the word of truth, verse 18. Who have, who've had the word of truth implanted in their hearts, verse 21. Who receive the word with meekness, again, verse 21. And who obey the word they receive, verse 22. This is a promise. That person will be blessed. That word blessed is the Greek word. Anybody know what it means? The Greek word to be happy. You want to be happy? Obey God's word. Do it. We find happiness in obedience to the word of God. And this makes, if you think about it, this makes a huge amount of sense. When we understand that the creator of the universe, the God who made us and knows us and loves us and wants what's best for us, is the God who gives us the commands to obey. Same God. Same God who knows us and loves us and wants what's best for us wrote this book. Tells us what to do. It should be clear that his commands are always meant for our good. Moses, the lawgiver, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 24, says this, And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, all these laws, all this stuff, to fear the Lord our God for our good always. His commands are always for our good. And we'll find happiness in obedience to the word of God. Now, Christians are often told, maybe you've heard this, that God doesn't really care about your happiness. He wants you to have that deep, stoic joy, but he doesn't really care about your happiness. We're, supposed to, we're not supposed to seek after happiness in this life. That happiness, that'll come later, in eternity. This life is full of pain and sorrows and trials and temptations, and the mature Christian knows that there's really no happiness to be found here. But that's not true talked about it last week. Even in the midst of your trials, what does James say for us to do? Count it all joy. And that joy, again, delight, rejoicing, gladness. Great blessing and happiness can be found in this life. Now, there's much greater and better happiness in the life to come. I'm not putting that, uh, saying to put that aside, but God offers it here and now. Eternal life began, begins when you begins here and now. Eternal life doesn't. Eternal life begins when you receive Christ, 
when that word is implanted in your heart. It doesn't begin when you, when you die and go to heaven. It's now. The great happiness and joy is not found in the pursuit of worldly pleasures. And we know that. Those things will never make us truly happy. True happiness comes to those who know God and obey His Word. We'll not find happiness in this life unless we become doers of God's Word. Promise, guarantee, stamp. Oh, that's okay, laugh at me. I need it. We won't find happiness in this life unless we become a doer of God's Word. So I'd encourage you, this morning, okay, this is the application point, Try to be as happy as you possibly can. Go for it. But go for it in the right place. Go for it where it really exists. The only place it can be found. To celebrate that you've been saved by the Word of God. To delight in receiving that implanted Word with meekness. To rejoice that you can now be a doer of the Word. And to experience true happiness the true happiness that God gives when you choose to obey His Word. So how, I'm going to review this one last time. I was talking to my son. I love my son. And he said, uh, Dad, you just keep saying the same thing over and over again in your message. I said, yep, I do. Because we need to hear it again. So I'm going I'm to summarize here. We're, we're done. I'm just summarizing here. How do we become a doer, not a hearer? Now, if I didn't say this, we have to be here first. It's good to be here. Here's not be, being a hearer is not negative, but you can't stop there. So how do we become a hearer, I mean a tour, not just a hearer? First, you make sure you've met the prerequisite. There's a prerequisite. You've got no hope unless you've met the prerequisite. Are you saved? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Is he your Lord and Savior? If you have, then God has implanted his word in your heart. If not, you've got, you've got no chance. No chance to obey. How can you obey when the first most important command is to receive Christ as your Savior? That's the prerequisite. Make sure you've done that. If you're, if you're not sure you've done that, I'd be happy to talk to you about that after service. Just come up to me, hey, I'm not sure I'm meeting the prerequisite. Well, we can talk about that. Second, you prepare your heart for obedience. You receive his word with meekness on a daily basis, a, a, Daily, I have to emphasize, daily basis, you spend time humbly receiving God's word, allowing it to transform who you are, preparing your heart for those, those tim- trials and temptations that are going to come your way. And that gives you the power to obey. If you, have no, if you haven't prepared, you have no power. If you're not spending time in God's word, no chance you're going to be able to obey God's word. You don't even know it. And finally, in faith, in trusting the word you've humbly received. Hate to quote Nike, but I'm gonna just do it. Just do it. Obey. Obey, knowing it's the best possible thing for you. And receive God's blessing. Receive God's blessing of joy in trials. Receive God's blessing of happiness in this life. Happiness, that deep, I mean, I'm not talking about, I am talking about that deep satisfaction that comes when knowing you're following Jesus Christ. But that does not stop there. It's not internal and you get to frown all the time. 
It, it comes out. You become a happier person when you follow and obey God's word. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you that it's a gift from you. And Lord, we praise you and honor you and worship you and thank you so much for your word. Your word in the form of Jesus Christ who saved our souls, the Logos who came and took our place on that cross. And we praise you and honor you and thank you for the the word you've implanted in our hearts, the gospel, the truth. And we praise you and honor you and thank you for the that external word, the scripture that, that we can receive with meekness. And I pray that we would do that. I pray that we would, we would meet those requirements, that we would be saved and the word would be implanted. I pray that we would then on a daily basis receive with meekness, humbly submitting to your word above all else, above all else this life has to offer, Lord. And I thank you so much that as we do that, you give us the power to obey. You give us the power to obey, and in obedience you give us happiness, Father. Thank you so much that you care about our happiness, our joy. Be with us now as we, we continue to worship and honor you in Christ's name. Amen.